All right, good morning once again. It's a, it's a joy to be here at Hope and Anchor with you as we open God's Word. Uh, today we're uh, pressing pause in our teaching series, our teaching series on uh, the Law and Prophets, on the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to talk about what it means or what, what, uh, what happens when Christ comes to us. When Christ comes to us, both at Christmas time, uh, when Christ comes to us daily, and when Christ comes to us uh, offering to us salvation, uh, what is being asked of us? Uh, today's message is called Holy Disruption, and that's maybe a little bit of a, <laughs> a hint at what I'm talking about, but a Holy Disruption. Over the years, um, if you're like me, We've grown very familiar with the Christmas story. The warm and cozy narrative of Jesus being born in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. We know this story. We're familiar with it. There's a coziness that comes with this story. Um, we are fond of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. We can imagine, oh, good job. You got it. There was a wasp besetting us in this room, coming out of my wife's hair, apparently. But uh, anyway, it's, it's plastered on the front of this uh, pew end, if you want to take a look. That's pretty great. Nice work, Samuel. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Nice work. Wow. I'm reading a book, and it has a picture of a... It's talking about how Europe has uh, a highly developed... Uh, train infrastructure. Their public transit is really great, but they've got a lot of really high-speed trains, and there's a train in France that goes over 200 miles an hour. It's crazy. But the picture was of this bird that was just plastered on the front. <laughs> and he said, that was the most fascinating thing about the whole train ride, was when he got off and looked at the front of the train and saw this bird just plastered. It was amazing. Anyway, that's kind of what that wasp looks like. Anyway. Yes. Holy disruption, right? All right. We think about Christmas. We think about the story, and there's a certain fondness. Even though this story happened so long ago in a time and a place so far away, uh, we never met Mary and Joseph. We can only relate to a certain extent. We've never ridden long distances on the back of a donkey while we're pregnant. I mean, we, but we're familiar enough with this story that it's, there's a fondness to it, a coziness to it. Uh, as we think about Mary and Joseph on that quiet moonlit night traveling to Bethlehem, jostling along on a donkey back, <laughs> it's a strange and a starlit night, but it somehow feels familiar. Somewhere along the way, a story that is by its very nature highly unusual, very unusual, this very unusual story of God coming to be with us, it stopped sounding unusual at all uh, through familiarity, through uh, uh, repeated contact. We hear it now, we're like, oh yeah, that story, I love that story. And we've kind of lost that sense, it's like, that is a wonderful and weird story. But think about it. This is a strange story indeed. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come to us. Good news, everybody. God has sent us a baby to save the world. What? It's like, it's like a John Hughes film. You know, it's like the baby takes New York or something. You know, it's like, uh, here's God's master plan. He sent a baby to save the world. That God would answer the hopes and the longings of His people and that He would send the Messiah prophesied of old to bring hope and deliverance to Israel and to all mankind, that, my friends, is great news. But His grand plan unfolded in the size and shape 
of an infant. And this is odd. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we, we, of course, the hero that we imagined in our story would have had to have been born at some point, as all heroes are born. But somehow, I think we expected him to kind of burst onto the scene as a full-grown Messiah, as a, as a well-muscled Savior. You know what I mean? It's like he was like in preparation and in obscurity, and then all of a sudden kicks the door and like, I'm here, everybody, you know, tank top, muscles. We're not familiar with the... <laughs> I know, that's pretty good stuff. But, uh, but, but, the, but the story begins with him as a baby, and already these, these hopes... These, these, these longings are already being spoken as, of as if they are fulfilled even on that night in Bethlehem. Do you understand that? How, how unique that is when we think about our story arcs, our, our hero's quest. You know, It usually doesn't start when you're a newborn, an infant. Somehow, did we really anticipate a hero who would need hourly feedings? Did we really anticipate a hero that would come to us and require round-the-clock diaper changes? That doesn't really fit as well into our, our perceived or our preconceived narrative, does it? I didn't anticipate a God that woke up at all hours crying. The crying during the night and simply needing to just be held sometimes. Do you get this strange juxtaposition here? That the Savior of the world came and had to be held, had to be comforted, had to be soothed. What does it mean that God's plan to save the world came to us so helpless, so tender, and so mild? What do we, what do we make of the Word made flesh coming to us in our need and being inconvenient at times? Coming in an arrival where the hands that made the world would startle and that they would wave helplessly in the air as an infant. What does it mean that the Incarnation comes and disrupts our routines and demands our care and requires us to make room? Really, everything about Jesus coming to us, it requires us to scoot over a little bit. Like, oh, oh, I must make room for the King who has come to us. So let's listen to the Christmas story again and hear it with this, this in mind, how strange it is but how disruptive it is, too, and how unexpected it can be when Jesus comes. At the time, at the, time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his finance, fiancé, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told, had told them. So it's into a very busy and crowded world that Jesus creeps in among us. It's into this kind of a world, a busy, chaotic, crowded world. Jesus, he crept in among us in Bethlehem so long ago, inconspicuously, unspectacularly, and when doing so, barely finding room. Barely finding room among us. It was such a crowded, chaotic, uh, cramped space that the king of the universe comes and they're like, oh, there's nowhere for you to stay. You can stay in the garage if you'd like. You can stay in the shed, the, the stable with the animals. That's the only thing I can offer to you. Every day since, Jesus has continued his work. Jesus has continued his ministry in this same crowded, busy world. You see, you and me, our lives can often leave very little space for the work of Christ. Our lives can be pretty crowded and busy as well, leaving little space for what Christ seeks to accomplish in us. There's little room for the disruption of His work in my day-to-day -day life. Just like that Bethlehem innkeeper that we don't really know much about, we are confronted with a choice. What will we do with Jesus? We all, in encountering Jesus, we must decide what to do with Him. We, what are we going to do? Ultimately, Jesus comes to us, and we will or we will not make room for Him. We will or we will not make room for Him in our lives. We will or we will not rearrange, reorder, and reprioritize for Him. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus has never been interested in adding something nice to our pre-existing life. Do you hear me say that? I mean, Jesus, His ambition was never to come and just add nicer furniture to your already satisfactory home, you know, or your already satisfactory life. He, he's never been motivated to be a therapeutic additive to your daily agenda as you go about your days pursuing your best life now. That's just never been part of what Jesus seemed very interested in doing. He was interested in kind of wrecking your life. He's like, all right, leave it all. Follow me. Give up everything. Die to yourself and follow me. Everyone's welcome to do that. Just like bringing a newborn home, which many of you have done, you know how much of a... <laughs> change that is, right? Disruption. Just like bringing a, new, a newborn home, Jesus coming into our lives requires a full reorientation of priorities, of schedules, and of behaviors. Everything becomes centered around this Christ who has come into our lives. This sweet and holy disruption that we find at Christmas time, it is indeed strange and wonderful. And the disru that disruption, that same sort of disruption, continues all throughout Jesus' life. All throughout Jesus' life, 
his ministry, and his mission. It is a mark of his mission. Jesus expressed little desire to hover alongside your life as a cherub. Okay, and I, and I know I'm, I'm kind of being a little bit uh, silly here about this idea of Jesus hovering like a cherub beside your already predetermined life. But really, I think that's indicative, though, of how a lot of us think about Jesus. We apprehend what we desire Jesus to be in our life, just kind of this like little insurance plan that we have on the side, just in case things go sideways. But Jesus is not interested in hovering like a cherub alongside us. Jesus didn't seem too interested then, and he certainly isn't interested now in being buddy Jesus. You know, just giving a thumbs up, hanging around and giving a thumbs up to all your great plans. You know, sorry, Jesus wants more than that. He wants to be more than that in your life. He came as a baby, weighing helplessly in our arms, but now he reigns as king. A king who weighs heavily as the rock of ages in our very lives, requiring our attention, our devotion, and our whole life. Jesus has weight. Just as he had a weight to him as a baby in our arms, now he has a weight as the king, the rock of ages, in all who follow after him in their life. Consider the glory of Jesus' birth mingled with all those barnyard smells of the stable and this startling contradiction, this startling juxtaposition, this stark juxtaposition rises up. Here is a picture of God's whole plan of redemption for creation. The glorious and the divine bursting out in the midst of the mundane and the human. Heaven and earth coming together in that little stable. The glorious and divine, the human and the mundane, mingling. God's uncommon work to seek and save the world begins in such common places among such common people. This is how God chooses to do His work. The advent of Christ, it did not cause at the time a seismic shift in the empire. It did not cause a seismic shift even in Bethlehem. Uh, most people at the time didn't even notice anything was happening. I mean, the only people that really noticed were the, were the shepherds, because they were told by the hosts of heaven, which that's pretty, pretty remarkable. And then the magi, the wise men from the east, uh, seeing a star, studying the stars each night, they start seeing this star and start seeing that it's fulfilling a prophecy, it's telling a story, and they want to chase this thing down. So these are the only people that really notice. In Bethlehem, though, it goes pretty much unnoticed altogether. But here's the thing, the closer that people got to Jesus, the more intimate the interaction they had with him, the greater the impact and the greater the disruption in their life. Yeah, the closer they came to Jesus, the more close Jesus came into their life, into their experience, the more of a disruption it brought. Think about Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men. All these people encountered Jesus up close and personal. And they all, as a result, experienced great disruption. As mom and dad, Mary and Joseph's lives were forever changed by the arrival of a baby. But also they remembered all that the angel had said. Because they couldn't know at the time, could they? They couldn't know all that it meant to have Jesus born into your life, into your family. But the angels had said some pretty crazy things about, hey, this child will be the Savior of the world. 
He'll be the Messiah of God's people, but he'll be a sa the Savior of the world. The shepherds, they were so amazed by the angels that they left their flocks behind. I mean, you get the sense that they're like, they see the angels, they hear the message, they're like, let's go. They leave the sheep, they go, they see it, and then it sounds like they didn't go back to their flocks. They went out into the town and they're like, guess what, everybody? This is amazing news. I don't know what was happening to the sheep in the meantime, but they didn't go right back to their sheep. Everything about what they had planned to do had changed. The Magi, the wise men, they left Babylon and they followed a star to find this obscure Jewish Messiah. Even the little drummer boy, he left drum practice with his band in his dad's garage in Seattle. You probably don't know this story. But he left uh, to come and play his very best for him, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. His plans changed too because of Jesus. Just like at that first Christmas so long ago, all who seek Christ, those who come close to Him, will find Him a wonder, yes, but they will also find Him a holy disruption. They will find a change of plans comes with Christ. This, the things that Jesus would say later about what it meant to follow Him really resonate and continue the theme that started to be uh, expressed at his birth at Christmas time. Look at uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 27. This is where uh, uh, Jesus is talking about the cost to his disciples. Like, hey, this is the cost of following me. He says, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my followers, this is Matthew 16, uh, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If, is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Uh, look also at Luke 18, 18 through 30. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Is Jesus really in, uh, encapsulating what it means to follow him? What is the cost? What is the disruption that comes in saying, I will follow after you, Jesus? This is uh, Luke uh, 18, 18 through 30. Once a religious leader asked Jesus uh, this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, Got it. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. And Peter said, well, we've left our homes to follow you. And Jesus replied, I can assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So there is a cost that comes. There is a, a change of plans. There is a holy disruption that comes in deciding to follow after Jesus, to come close, to let him enter into our space into our life. Christmas was a silent night. 
But Christmas was also a holy night. And what does it mean for Christmas to be a holy night? It is a holy night during which we are confronted. We are confronted with both resounding joy, but also resounding disruption. Finding Jesus as a baby and coming to him as Lord has always been accompanied by the sound of shuffling priorities and of changing agendas. Everything is shuffled with Jesus' arrival among the angels, the shepherds, moms and dads, among donkeys and sheep, all throughout creation. It all is shuffled. I wonder if this isn't why so many uh, people who would call themselves Christ followers or call themselves nominally as uh, Christians, I wonder if this isn't why so many are inclined to celebrate baby Jesus at Christmas, but are ambivalent or hesitant about following the risen Christ as Lord. There's often this fondness and this closeness and this like um, uh, warmness toward Jesus in the manger, but kind of a pushback to the idea of Jesus uh, on the throne, that He could be Lord of my life. Coming close to Christ, it causes us to stop and to give up control and to change our direction and deny ourselves if we are going to follow after Him. So, this year, as we approach Jesus again during this Christmas tide, the 12 days of Christmas, <laughs> let us remember that we are coming close to Emmanuel. We are coming close to God with us. In acknowledging baby Jesus in his birth, let us with that then embrace him as King Jesus in his ever-increasing rule and reign as King of the universe. Embracing Jesus as King brings all the implications of His authority and all of the expectations that we will orient our very lives around this holy God. What will you rearrange? I think that's where I want to land with this thing. Is We want to spend the next you know, uh, week or more, let this be a space and a time where we're actively asking, it's like, well, what is being rearranged in my life? What is it that God is asking me in Christ to shuffle in my life? What kind of holy disruption is Jesus bringing into my life for this year? What will you rearrange and how will you scoot over this year to make room? How you, will you receive, intentionally receive your King and receive His holy disruption in your life? Now is the time to make room. You know, that's one of the benefits of a new year. It comes right after Christmas. We have a chance to kind of press reboot, turn it off, <laughs> turn it back on. Think about how do I want to do this year differently? And I want to encourage you to think uh, seriously about this. What is it Christ is asking of you? And how do you need to be disrupted this year for His glory? As the new year begins, <coughs> what kind of holy disruption does Christ have for you? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and a chance to uh, consider this, that Jesus always causes a, an upset, a, a, a disruption, that uh, things carrying on as normal in our well-laid plans and patterns and rhythms uh, is not often leading us in the direction uh, in which Christ is traveling. If we say we are following after Jesus, we must be attentive and regularly asking, God, how is it you need to disrupt my assumptions? How is it you need to disrupt my, my, uh, my, my settled behaviors so that I might more faithfully follow after Jesus this year? I love how Christmas is that reminder and how it, does, it comes to us every year in just enough time for us to consider the new year to come. 
So over these 12 days of, of Christmas, or the Christmas tide, I pray that we would use it well. We would consider it a season of uh, preparation for another trip around the sun when we can live more faithfully, when we can understand and acknowledge the holy disruption in our life and see you do some amazing things for us, in us and through us. God, I pray that um, we would see with clarity that we would hear clearly and understand that uh, you have ambition in our life, you have intention in our life, that this year holds opportunity for us. And I pray that we would show up, that we'd be paying attention, and that at the end of this next year, we'd look back and say, wow, God, I love it. I love it that I was able to come close to you this year, and I love it that you were so willing to interrupt my life and send me in a way that leads to life, but also leads to renewal of the, the, the world in which I live, the people in my life, that you'd see people you love transformed because of your obedience to Jesus. God, I pray that that would be at the center of our desire this year. Lord, do a work in us, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to worship with uh, sing another song, and this is a chance to just sit with the Lord. Maybe consider as we move toward the new year, how can Christ disrupt you? How can this holy disruption come and and glorify Him more this year and make more disciples in your life? Let's be obedient this year. Let's follow where Christ leads us. Yeah.